are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. We call some of those folks sommeliers, wine aficionados, wine experts, wine gurus, and the most commonly used title, boring. Welcome to Grape Encounters. We love wine just as much as anyone else, but while we crave those special wines that are silky smooth and go down so easy, we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. There is one overriding premise here at Grape Encounters. Wine pairs best with life. Accordingly, your host David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time, how to have more fun with your wine, where to enjoy wine the most, how to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. time for your weekly grape encounter you know i have traveled the world and tried to take you to some of the greatest wineries that exist on the planet there is one though i feel irresponsible for not having had them on yet in 10 years because they are probably the most iconic winery in the napa valley by virtue of the fact that they were the first i'm talking about charles krug winery And they have an event that is coming up soon that I thought, you know, this is going to be one of those things that I am not going to miss this year because it's just such a a really cool event. I've got on the line right now Scott Black. He is the brand manager for Charles Krug. And Scott, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. I'm actually groveling right now because you guys should have been on 10 years ago. You should have been the first since you were the first, right? Yes, but we don't hold grudges, so I'll go. <laughs> well, let's talk about a little history before we get into the film festival because the place is just such an interesting place. And it was the first. What year was Charles Krug built? So we broke ground on the winery in 1861. So to put that in context, that was the uh, year that Lincoln was inaugurated, and it was also the year that the Civil War broke out. So we've been around a while. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And you probably get asked this a lot, but what is the oldest bottle of wine that's still intact that you have in the library? The pre-prohibition days are are pretty much um, you know, they're, they're non-existent. But the Mandavi family actually purchased the property during the Second World War in 1943. Right. Yeah, and uh, they started what has become our flagship offering, known as the uh, Vintage Selection Cabernet. They started that the following year in 1944. And if you visit the winery today, there's a very special room that we call it the Vintage Selection Library. And if you go in that room, you can see the vintage selection wines and the very oldest wine which was created in 1944 during the second world war we have one bottle left of that original vintage that's in that room and then we have a sundry other vintages from that period until now so i have a interesting little story i was doing an interview with michael mondavi you know uh-huh. who has his own independent business going on sure. but i was in his wine cellar and he asked me my birthday 
And I was curious why he asked that, but I, I told him. And he wandered off and he came back with a bottle of Charles Krug. And he said, I'm really sorry. He said, we didn't have your exact birthday, so I'm giving you the year before. Now, I'm not in my 20s or 30s. So <laughs> it was a pretty old bottle, and he made me promise that I would open it and drink it and not save it or lay it down. And this was just a couple of years ago. I was shocked at how well that wine has held up. It's yeah, utterly amazing. The one time in life you want to exaggerate your, your age as opposed to, to deflate it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, it is interesting that today we make wines that are, you know, as they say, drinkable now, but I'm just curious why the these wines from way back when were able to stay in such good condition. Is there something that they were doing back then that ensured that? And were they looking to be able to make wines that would last, you know, an eternity? Well, I mean, winemaking has come a long way since since the early days when Dobbies were first creating wines in the valley. I mean, when they started out, there was less than a dozen wineries here. And, you know, now there's, I don't know if I can even give you a final count as to how many there are now. So, you know, things have come a long way, both in terms of the scope and the scale of the valley, but also in winemaking practices. And I think part of what you see in terms of the evolution of wines from Napa Valley is also an evolution in the vineyards and what's what's been happening in the vineyards. So a lot of the vineyards now have reached a level of maturity where you're starting to see you know higher sugar levels and greater ease of ripening than maybe they had back during the earlier era. So that, in addition to what they would do in terms of winemaking techniques, that's impacted how these wines evolve and, and their ageability. That said, I would say that we're pretty much as confident now in the ageability of our wines and their ability to, to last and, and have that kind of consistency and longevity than you know, some of the wines that are in our historical portfolio. Yeah, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. Let's talk about the tasting room. You have the longest running tasting room in California. Yeah, so our tasting room is actually the oldest tasting room in Napa Valley. It was founded in 1882. It was quite a bit different back in that day and era, you know, compared to what visitors to Napa Valley would experience today. But uh, it marked the early days of Napa Valley as a, as a wine tourism destination. I'm guessing that you were not charged for tastes in those days. I haven't visited during that era, but I might <laughs> entry to guess not. Yeah. What's the highest tasting fee you've seen in Napa? You don't have to say who, but I'm just curious. Uh... It's almost impossible to answer that because everybody has gotten into experiences. Yes, exactly. Is, there's various levels at almost every winery now. So you, you can go from, you know, popping in for a quick taste that might run $45, uh, you know, to taste through a basic flight of wines all the way up to, uh, you know, half a day experiences, you know, with uh, food pairings from a, you know, famous chef. You could spend half a day and it could cost you a couple hundred dollars. So, it really runs the gamut, so it's kind of a difficult question. To still, answer. still cheaper than Disneyland. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're going to jump into the film festival in just a second after our break. But can you touch on for a couple of minutes some of the Charles Krug experiences? What somebody could expect if they came to the, this historic winery? Yeah. So we have a wide range of experiences that we offer at the visitor center. People can come in for a more casual experience. We have a culinary section called Cucina de Rosa 
Rosa, which is named after Rosa Mandavi, the matriarch of the family. Cesare and Rosa Mandavi were the original matriarch and patriarch of the family that purchased the, the property in 1943. And Cucina de Rosa is named in her honor. She was a fabulous cook. The Mandavis still rave about her cooking of, uh, you know, from their childhood days. So we have a section of the winery that is dedicated to culinary offerings. We offer a range of artisan cheeses and uh, charcuterie and that type of thing. And then in the summer months, we also have a pizza oven that is located out on our back lawn adjacent to the old Redwood Cellar. Uh, and we offer an array of artisan pizzas that we offer through the warmer months that's served outside. So people can come in at any time and participate in that more casual side of the winery without an appointment. And then on the more formal side, the wine tasting side, we have basic tastings, which will take you through uh, various flights of wines. And there's various you know, pay levels, depending on you know how deep into our portfolio and how high end you want to go. And then there's more experiential tastings, which involve a more detailed tour of the property, tour of the state, and then a, uh, a more elevated tasting experience with some of our more limited release wines. So needless to say, you could spend a whole day just at Charles Krug? Um, you could. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys had a, a major renovation. Was it about five years ago? Yeah. It was uh, approximately five years ago. And the Redwood Cellar, which is a historic building that was founded in 1872, that building, it was where the original cellar of the winery was. So it was all large redwood tanks. Now there's only one that it's been preserved within the barrel room for historical purposes, just to give people a sense cool. of what used to be in the space. And then about five years ago, the Mandavis hired a gentleman, a famous architect by the name of Howard Backen. He's done a lot of top wineries throughout Napa and Sonoma Valleys. And he basically took things all the way down to the studs and kept the historic framework. And one of the coolest things that the architect did in the renovation of the winery is uh, the old redwood tanks that had to be removed and disassembled from the building to create the space for the new visitor center. He actually took those apart and steamed the wood, straightened out the planks, so wow. the curvature of the barrel. And he repurposed a vast majority of all of that old redwood oh, throughout wow. the common areas of the winery. Wow. Well, actually, if you go up the, um, particularly in the stairwell, so if you go up between the first and the second floor, all that wood paneling that you'll see, it's all that sort of weathered old redwood. Uh, and it's actually the barrels. You actually see codes from the old barrels. Uh, oh, that wow. Are, that are still on the sides of the wall. It's all coming from the old barrels. So it's a lot of history everywhere you look. No industry is better about repurposing than the wine industry. We're talking to Scott Black. He is the brand manager for Charles Krug in the Napa Valley. Coming up next, we're going to talk about Charles Krug's Sunset Cinema film series for 2019. Man, if you can get out to the Napa Valley and be a part of this, I think you're going to be in Fat City. We'll be back with Scott in just a second with more Grape Encounters Radio. Do you ever wonder what goes on in the Grape Encounters studio while you're listening to the commercial break? Research. Yeah, that's what we do. Research. You can never do too much research. We like to talk about wine. The Oregon Wine Experience's Founders Barrel Auction on Friday, August 23rd is an afternoon of elegance. Sample wine futures from Authentic Wine Cellars, Hewitt Cellars, Laurel Ridge Winery, Left Coast Estate, Russell Prayer Rock Vineyards, Stone Griffin Vineyard, Vulcan Cellars, plus many more. The action takes off as you bid on the opportunity to win a case or the whole barrel of Oregon's finest wines. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. 
In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from zip lining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio. Since we aren't a TV show, we'd love for you to see and learn more about our incredible wine country town. Check out visitatascadero.com. Once you see how good we've got it, Maybe you'll plan a trip to see us in person. There aren't too many things that go together better than wine and film. I know you thought I was going to say wine and food, but wine and film and food, that's a great combination. And there is a great series of films that will be part of the Charles Krug Sunset Cinema for 2019. I'm going to get into that now. My guest is Scott Black. He's the brand manager for Charles Krug. And if you're into wine, you know the name. It's really one of those great, great, great brands. It's the oldest winery in the Napa Valley and a huge chunk of wine history. Anyway, Scott, let's talk about the film series now that's coming up. Man, it sounds like a a wonderful time. And where is it going to take place on the property? Can you kind of paint a picture of how this all goes? Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the most iconic buildings on the property is called the Carriage House. It dates back to 1871. And now it's no longer, obviously, holding horses and carriages, but it's been renovated into an event center. And about three years ago, we partnered with the Napa Valley Film Festival to become the only winery venue for the film festival. So we shut down that space for five days every November and basically turned it into a screening venue. We could fit about 250 folks into the movie theater and screen about five films a day and we go for five days. So we screen about 20 films in total. We sell you know, food and wine down on the first floor that patrons can enjoy with the movie. And then adjacent to that building is a, as we call it the Great Lawn because that's exactly what it is. It's this big, mature lawn that can fit as many as a thousand people on it. It's studded with uh, 
100-year-old oak trees, and then that fronts the vineyard, which actually separates us from the uh, CIA across the street, and not the CIA you're thinking of. It's the culinary <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. of America across, across the highway. And so for the Sunset Cinema Series, there's actually a grove of redwoods that are situated at the edge of the lawn between the lawn and the vineyard. And we set up an inflatable screen that has the redwood grove as the backdrop. And oh, uh, wow. that's where the films are screened. And it's really quite stunning. You know, it's a balmy Napa Valley night. Sun is setting behind the hills. And you get that sort of twilight glow above the redwoods. And then the movie starts. And uh, it's really a magical evening. So let's talk about dates. Yeah. So we have three screenings over the course of the summer in July, August, and September. And the easy thing to remember is that it's on the third Friday night of each of those months. So the third Friday of July, August, and September. And if you want those specific dates, that's July 19th, August 16th, and September 20th. Now, if somebody wanted to go to this, would they purchase tickets online? How does that work? Correct. Yes. You can go to our website and under the events page, it's charleskrug.com. And on the events page, you'll see a, a listing for Sunset Cinema and you can buy tickets straight from there. All right. So I was looking at some of the films and I said a, a moment ago that nothing pairs better with wine than film and food. But there's one other thing I would throw in there, which is dogs. You know, <laughs> it's like you can't go to a winery without there being a winery dog. And one of the films that you're screening is called Pick of the Litter. And it's Sounds like something I would really want to watch. Do you know anything about the film? Yeah, so Pick of the Litter was one of the uh, award winners from last year's um, film festival. And I should mention that all the films that are screening, they're all curated by the film festival. So these are all sort of award-winning films and audience favorites from last year's festival that they've um, curated for us. Pick of the Litter, they jokingly refer to it as a documentary, uh, <laughs> as opposed to a documentary. But it follows uh, a litter of puppies over a, a two-year period. And these are puppies that were especially bred to grow up to be guide dog puppies. We have an organization, Guide Dogs for the Blind, that's uh, very close to us um, down in Marin County. And they raise these dogs to be support animals for folks that are uh, sight impaired. And in order to get into the program, the, the puppies are basically raised by families and they have to basically pass a series of tests in order to be admitted into uh, finally being uh, into the training program to go on to be guide dogs. So this follows a litter of puppies that are aspiring to be guide dogs and the families raising them. And it's really warm hearted and great sort of family entertainment. And there's a little bit of tension involved. You know, these, these dogs are all, uh, you know, being put to the test, so to speak, as to whether or not they'll realize their aspirations to grow up to be, you know, what they were bred to be. So it kind of follows them all the way through that uh, that testing period. And you're kind of on pins and needles waiting to see if, uh, you know, which puppies, you know, is your favorite puppy going to make make the grade or not. There's nothing sadder than a face of a disappointed dog. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, I, I got a little guy. He's actually here in the studio with me right now. And if he doesn't get to go out with me when we go for a little car ride or something like that, the face is just, it hurts. I can only imagine what it's, what it's like 40 feet tall, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, that sounds great. I should, uh, I should add that uh, we've been chatting with folks down at the Guide Dogs Blind, and we, we are very hopeful that we're going to have some puppies that are actually in training right now. Oh, neat. That's similar to the dogs that are in the movie. So we should have a cadre of puppies there the night of, and we'll be doing a little bit of a meet and greet, and uh, there'll be puppies that you can get uh, photographed with, you know, before the screening and so forth.
part. So that should be a, a fun little addition as well. Meet and greet on all four feet. There yeah. we go. <laughs> um, we're, we're almost out of time here, but there are a couple of other films. One is called Cold Brook and the other is Summer 03. Maybe just a quick thumbnail on those would be great. Yeah. So Cold Brook stars William Fitchner. Uh, he's one of those guys that a lot, a lot of people know his name, but he's sort of a Hollywood mainstay. He's, he's been in, in dozens and dozens of films. This is the first film he's directed and it stars him and Kim Coates. Uh, a lot of people know him from Sons of Anarchy. They play a couple of maintenance guys that have sort of a spooky encounter at the museum that they're working in. And I don't want to reveal too much about the film, but... but well, uh, we, well, we can't because we're, we're, we're just about out of time, just like 30 seconds on Summer 03, and then we'll repeat how people can get involved in this. Sure. Yeah, and Summer 03 is a coming-of-age film. Best to think about like one of those 80s, you know, teen coming-of-age films. It's sort of a retread of that territory. Okay, so it is the Sunset Cinema experience. It'll be going on at Charles Krug, and you can definitely um, get tickets for these movies now, right? D- d- does this sell out? Yep. It does it's sell out. It's on sale. It's only uh, $10 a ticket. Oh, great. And I should add that at 6.30 every night is when we open the doors, and basically uh, it's kind of a picnic setting. We're selling our artists and pizzas. Uh, we've got wine for sale. So there's a good couple hours usually before sunset during the summer. So people are basically enjoying, you know, a great picnic spread, soaking in the good weather and the food and the wine uh, before the film even starts. And one of the great things about Sunset Cinema is the film festival actually arranges for some of the key talent that were associated with the film, either director and actor, to actually be on hand. And we often will do a, a Q&A either before or after the film so you can actually talk to some of the people behind the scenes. Oh, good. All right. Well, Scott, I appreciate you filling us in on everything and, and taking some time to just get people acquainted with Charles Krug, which has been around for a very long time. I, I know people know the name, even if they're not as familiar with the wines. It's it's definitely an iconic name in the wine industry and a place that if you visit the Napa Valley, it's a must-see place. It has to be on your Napa Valley bucket list. So um, the the website is uh, what, Scott? Uh, CharlesKrug.com. Charles Krug, and that's K. R-U-G. Thanks very much for being on. I appreciate it. Uh, happy to do it. Hope to see you all at the winery. I'm definitely coming up. I'm coming up for the dog film, Pick of the Litter. Can I bring my dog? Service dogs only. I knew the answer before I even asked it. Okay, we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. David will be back with more Grape Encounters in a couple of minutes, which means there simply isn't enough time for him to enjoy more than a sip or two of one of his faves. Oh, the sacrifices we make in the broadcasting business. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. If you're topping off your burger with grilled onions and blue cheese, pair your work of art with a spicy Malbec. Nothing beats a buttery Chardonnay with grilled corn on the cob. I'm ready to find you the perfect bottle of white for your next get-together. Pack up the cooler for this weekend. We've got canned wine and beer ready to throw on ice. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine & More. Cheers! I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. 
Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. Savor Oregon's finest wines at the Oregon Wine Experience's Grand Tasting on Sunday, August 25th. Work your way through the tasting tables and enjoy an array of delicious culinary bites. Don't miss this special opportunity to sample wines from all corners of Oregon in one unique location. The wine pours start at 2 p.m. Plan your experience today. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. Welcome back to Grape Encounters, where we believe there's no way to fake a great wine, and where we never fake our disdain for the really bad ones. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and since we've been talking about film, we're going to change gears but stay in the theater all the same. I now have a guest on who is working on a film. I was reading about this film. It's a wine-related film. It really, really captured my imagination. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like or how it's going to play out on the screen, but I'm going to have my guest tell you a bit about it now. It's Dax Feeling, and Dax, you're a producer. You produce a lot of different stuff, but you're doing this film called The Wild Vine, right? Yes, based on the book by Todd Kwan. We're actually in development right now. We acquired the rights to Todd's book about a month ago, made a big announcement at Cannes a couple weeks ago, and we've been um, working on raising funds as well as talking to different potential streaming giants about producing this series with us. Oh, awesome. And we've got a lot of rich people listening, too, if you're raising money, you know. <laughs> well, have them give me a call. But anyway, let's talk about The Wild Vine. That's by Todd Kleiman. And Todd is a two-time James Beard Award-winning author, so let's just get into the story. Absolutely. It's kind of interesting how this project popped up on my radar. I had not heard of the Norton Grape. I knew literally nothing about Missouri wines, even though I from St. Louis originally. Yeah. And I would say a few years ago, I was in St. Louis prepping a film and decided to go down to wine country in Herman, Missouri, right there along exactly, the Missouri yeah. River. A lot of wineries and there. Absolutely. It used to be the Napa of the U.S., you know, back before California wine really existed. Okay. And you were talking about the grape, the Norton grape. You know, I, I know I have listeners all over the country. If they're in the Midwest, they probably know the, the Norton grape. And, you know, typically it's made into a sweet wine and people love that there. Not so much a California palate wine, I wouldn't say, but it's pretty delicious, but it can be made a lot of different ways. Sure. I mean, I've had Norton sparkling wine. I've had several different dry Nortons. In fact, that's my personal preference is yeah. for dry Norton, not so much the sweeter stuff. So you then gained a fascination for the Norton grape? It stuck with me in a really unusual, really interesting way, almost like a, a mystery that you sort of want to get to the bottom of. And yeah. I was curious where I could find sort of the, the truest experience expression of that particular varietal. And so I started doing some research after I returned to LA and 
once you start researching the Norton grape, it doesn't take long for you to find Todd's book because it's really the definitive book on the subject and, of course, the history of the Norton grape and how it came to be. Right. So let's get into the book then. The description sure. in one sentence on the press release that I read about the book. I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to let you. But this is a very complex story. Absolutely. It's juggling multiple plot threads, um, which I love, and takes on the qualities of a great historical book, as well as being a, a great book about what it is to be American, something that's, you know, very timely right now. And it also, you know, explores Jenny McLeod, who is working, you know, as we speak to restore Dr. Norton's legend and restore Norton to its rightful place at the top of the wine world. So it's a story about underdogs. And that really appeals to me. Let's talk about the transgender twist to this. I don't know if it's if it's really a twist so much. It's that Jenny, who is the the owner at uh, Chrysalis Vineyards in Middleburg, Virginia, is transgender, and this is really her passion. And she was a dot com millionaire turned vintner, and she is Dr. Daniel Norton's you know biggest proponent. And as I said, she's looking to help sort of redeem him and restore him to where she thinks that he should be. And that's a fascinating kind of topic because obviously he's been dead for quite some time, but yet his grape lives on. His grape lives on. You're in California. I'm in California. I don't know that there's a single person growing the Norton grape here. Do you know? There are a couple. Are there? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a place up north in Sacramento that has a single bottle that they sell. I have not had it yet. Part of my due diligence on this on this project is really getting to know the grape as it's made by all the different winemakers across the country. And so I've become well acquainted with Stonehill, with Chrysalis, of course, and we've been sort of branching out from there. And so we do Norton tastings pretty often, you know, the my fellow producers and I just sort of getting a sense of all the different styles and all the different areas, you know, where it's coming from. So it's been an absolutely fascinating process to sort of case how it varies from place to place, region to region. And I haven't had, like I said, too many of the sweet ones, but I've had many of the dry ones and enjoy it immensely with food, typically. But I had one recently from Stonehill that just knocked my socks off. They're a big winery, Stonehill is. Yeah, it's terrific. You know, the Held family does a wonderful job. John Held took me on a tour recently. I got to see some Norton vines that have literally been growing in Missouri since the Civil War. Wow. You know, since before the Civil War. Wow. You know, but they have been doing it for so long that they've developed techniques for growing Norton, where the proof is really in the pudding, as they say. You know, it's just a fascinating story behind how they've been bringing Norton back in Missouri since the 60s all starting with his dad, Jim Held, purchasing the old Stonehill Winery and deciding to grow wine there again. And, you know, I just want to make one suggestion to you, if I may, Dax. I am so tired of hearing about the influence of Sideways on Pinot Noir 
And so I'm hoping that somehow you can take a little artistic license in this and have one of the characters exclaim, I'm not drinking any more Pinot Noir. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll yeah. see what I can do. Yeah. Fortunately, it, I know the writer, so it shouldn't be hard to split the line. Yeah. It, wouldn't it, how fun would that be if you did to Pinot what Sideways did to Merlot? If you knocked Pinot off of its pedestal and replaced it with Norton, wouldn't that be fun? Well, I'm a big fan of Pinot Noir as well. Obviously, they're very, very different wines, but... You know, if this film were to have, let's say, the sideways effect upon the, the Norton varietal as a whole um, and on the different winemakers who, who make Norton wines, then that would be a wonderful thing to have happen because so many of these people are doing it because they love it. And they've been carrying on this tradition and really been in the trenches for a long time doing what a lot of people won't do. Yeah. You know? So it feels like the people who grow it are just so into it. They're real passionate about this particular grape and its history. I know you've done your homework because you you used the term sideways effect. And that's actually a term that's used in marketing classes in colleges and universities across the country, you know, basically referring to what happens when a fictitious character influences pop culture. And I actually haven't heard anybody outside of the marketing world use that term, except you. Oh, well, you know, because I live in Los Angeles and because I'm into wine, I've been traveling up to Santa Barbara quite frequently for many years. I Sometimes I feel like I'm there every other weekend. Yeah. So it's been interesting to see, you know, the impact that that film had on, you know, this sleepy little town and, and the surrounding areas and, of course, on Pinot Noir and, and the Merlot sales, respectively, and on, you know, the, the industry as, as a whole, everything from hospitality and, you know, to the, the wine itself. Yeah. You know? So it's I'm very familiar with how that's all played out. And again, if, if it helps, you know, prop up Norton a little bit, I'm happy. All right. Hey, well, listen, uh, Dax, been nice talking to you. I wish you the best of luck on this project. Sounds like a lot, a lot of fun. And you're going to be shooting fairly soon. Is that correct? Well, I wouldn't say fairly soon because we're still in the development phase. And one of the fascinating things about this book is that it's a bit of a hybrid. You know, it's, it's sort of a travel book, sort of a history book, yeah. sort of a, a mystery and it's like I said this great kind of underdog story so figuring out that the proper way to tell that story on the screen has been uh, kind of one of the most rewarding and challenging parts of uh, the adaptation I, so I imagine as soon as we crack the code we'll, we'll be ready to go okay well we'll be keeping an eye on you and wishing you the best of luck and any good film that has a wine related topic is great by me and you know what people love wine themed films. They love them. Do, I love them too. They always do really, really well. Except there's that film, A Walk in the Clouds, where there's this just one scene that made me hate the movie. And that's where <laughs> Keanu Reeves pulls the vine out of the dirt and he holds it up and he proclaims that they're going to bring that vineyard back. And it was just so overdramatic. <laughs> it, was like, it was so over the top. I loved the film up to that moment. It's yeah. probably one of the single most overdramatic moments in film history. <laughs> Gotta check it out. A Walk in the Clouds. It's a beautiful film though to watch. All right, Dax Feeling. The film is going to be called The Wild Vine, based on the book of the same name. And we'll look forward to seeing it as soon as it comes out. Thanks very much. And anyway, we're going to move on to next topic. So stay with me. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this.
Sometimes drinking wine makes you just want to curl up in a comfy chair and dream about puppy dogs, faraway places, and other happy thoughts. Or you can just enjoy that cuvee in your glass and lose yourself in the conversation on Grape Encounters Radio. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Nothing beats beers and burgers. And with so many to choose from, we've got the perfect cold one waiting for you. Serving up salads at your cookout this weekend? Add a dry rosé to the table for a perfect pairing. When I'm the barbecue grill master, I've got to have a cold lager in my hand. Hey, grab me another. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine and More. Cheers. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. People often ask, why hasn't someone tarred and feathered Grape Encounters host David Wilson for breaking so many of the old rules? Simple. No one likes the old rules. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and now we're going to play a little game of chicken with you. You know, sometimes we get into some pretty offbeat topics, and this is going to be a little off the beaten path and out into the chicken coop. Literally, we are going to play chicken. Something really wonderful happened a couple of days ago. I was at the wine bar, and this gentleman walks in, and I said, well, come on in. And wait a second, he says, do you know who I am? And I said, well, should I? He said, well, I don't know. And then he identified himself. His name is Twain. Lockhart. Get this. I grew up with him. I haven't seen him in decades, literally decades. I met him when he was probably about five years old, I'm guessing, somewhere around that age. And Twain is a poultry specialist for Cargill Feed and Nutrition, actually a division called Neutrina. And he's with me now. I made him come in here because we got in 
into a very interesting conversation about poultry and wine. And Twain, welcome to the show. Hey, David. How are we doing today? You're a little bigger than the last time I saw you. Just slightly a little bigger around, too, uh, which I'm not uh, so proud of. Well, isn't that true for all of us? Yeah, I think so. It was so exciting to see you, and I'm glad that you were able to come back to the studio, and you're just in town for another day or two, right? Yeah, I was doing an event at Farm Supply up here in Paso Robles, and I was teaching people how to raise chickens. Yeah, and so you're a feed company, basically, right? Correct. Neutrina is a retail feed company, yes. All right, so the reason that I wanted to get you in here is because, first of all, and this is something you may or may not know, chicken of all of the proteins out there is the most diversified when it comes to pairing wine. I think you said this to me, but now you're from Wisconsin. That's right. And I'm not saying that in any negative sort of way, but what's the rule there? Uh, white wine for poultry, red wine for red meat. Right, exactly. Okay, uh, which isn't true. And, and you know what's really interesting? If people walk away with any point today, it should be this. Don't let the protein dictate the wine. Let the sauce and the type of preparation dictate the wine. Because you could have a chicken marsala that's got this rich sauce, you know. Of course, that's marsala wine. Or something that's, you know, a really deep, dark gravy of some sort. We have to go bigger with the wine. So matching the intensity of the meat to the intensity of the wine is maybe the first thing that people should know. But what I found was interesting was something you told me that I, it hadn't even really occurred to me too much. I mean, I know like if I can, I want to buy organic chickens, but I didn't really have much thought about the difference in taste. Yeah. You told a great story. Can you repeat that story about this? I guess he was a coworker or something. Yeah. I worked with a fella in Tennessee, great big guy. And I just kind of overheard him talking about how he has been on a quest for the last 25 to 30 years trying to duplicate his grandmother's chicken and dumplings. And he was ordering spices from Europe. I mean, he was really going overboard trying to duplicate it and he couldn't do it. And I just overheard this and I said, well, I know what the problem is. You're using the wrong chicken. And he says, what do you mean? And what do you know? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I know a little bit about chickens. And I said, but you're not using the right chicken. Your grandmother, more than likely, when she prepared that dish, the morning thereof, she walked out the front door. Whatever chicken wasn't moving fast probably ended up in the stew pot. Probably an old hen. Now, what you buy... Is that good meat, though? It is if you stew it or you pressure cook it, okay? After about six months, chickens become pressure cook That's, where you, that's yeah. where you want to put them. Yeah, okay. Gumbo chickens, soup chickens, in this case, chicken and dumplings. Well, that being said, what you buy in the market and what he was buying is called a Cornish cross. That is the staple chicken, meat chicken that we eat at KFC, that you buy in the market, probably 99 plus percent. That's what we eat. I take it it's because they grow very fast. Eight yeah. weeks from hatch to freezer. you got to be kidding no, me. No, they grow like something off the sci-fi channel. Eight weeks Eight from weeks. hatch to the freezer. And that's about a six-pound dress Holy bird. Smoke. I mean, they I can grow... see why that's profitable. Yeah, and it is. It's very profitable. That's why you can buy whole chickens for, you know, six or seven bucks because they are able to grow them that fast. The problem is when they grow that fast, they don't have a lot of taste. I'm not saying chicken tastes bad, but it's very much a blank palate. It is what you cook them in or what you season them with. Quite frankly, they don't well, taste exactly like... what I was saying. Yeah, is they it... don't taste like chicken. Exactly. It's a canvas upon yeah. which we throw paint like gravies and barbecue right. sauces and things like that. And that's got to be the basis of your pairing. So this guy was happy, huh? Oh my God. He Remember, he's a great big guy. This is on Thursday or Friday. He comes in Monday. He grabs me and lifts me off the ground and spins me around. He is beyond thrilled. He said when he took the first bite, he, he almost started crying because he was so happy. He found the problem. It needed a little tweaking, but he said it was 98% there. That's and so, so funny. he was thrilled all these years and nobody told him he was using the wrong. 
wrong chicken. So let's look for a second at some of the pairing ideas or some of the wines that you can pair with chicken. Before I do that, what is the taste difference? Let's dial I, that in. Actually, I have people tell me that they vacation in Mexico and they'll have caldo de pollo, which is chicken soap. And oh my God, it tastes so much like chicken. It's got this strong chicken flavor. That's what you're going to get. You're going to get this very, very strong chicken flavor and it tastes good. And for most of us, maybe going to a live market's not a realistic solution, but almost every big city has a farmer's market. And if you look around, you may find some local growers that are growing some of these heritage breed chickens. And that's what you want to look for. Now, some of you may not like dark meat. Most of these heritage breeds will be dark meat chicken. Really? Yeah. Most of it will be dark meat. Okay. So that makes it really interesting because now we're getting into, you know, some interesting wines, you know, starting with rosés, but then getting into things like Zinfandel, Grenache, uh, certainly Pinot Noir. You know, these are red wines that pair really well with dark meat chicken. And by the way, you can go even bigger than that. You can go to Cabernet Sauvignon. You can go to Merlot. You can go to any of the Spanish varietals, Italian varietals. I mean, one thing that's very interesting that I learned is that when we look at protein consumption, and I'm talking about meat protein in America, the difference between chicken and everything else is pretty spectacular in terms of how much we consume. We're consuming way more chicken than we're even consuming of beef. Did you know that? Yes, actually I did. And I guess it's because of the diversity. So I think, you know, when we get down to these pairing rules with food and wine, chicken becomes the most interesting thing from a pairing standpoint because there is no end to the flavor profiles that you can create. But having said that, getting down to really tasting the meat of the chicken and not just what it's been flavored with, then the wines I think you want to go for are the really light wines. I mean, I say whiter wines in the sense that you want the meat to shine. But anyway, that's going to do it for our visit with Twain Lockhart. And that's going to do it for this week's Grape Encounters Radio. Take us out. Well, this episode of Grape Encounters is in the bag. It's hard to imagine you haven't missed some episodes, so why not hunt them down at GrapeEncounters.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast sites. Grape Encounters Studios are located in beautiful Atascadero, California. That's Central Coast wine country, baby. Come visit us. But be warned, you won't want to leave. That's okay. We have a spare bedroom. But it's 55 degrees and full of old bottles.